Welcome to the Policy and Planner English Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Laban. Today, we're continuing our conversation about food as part of healthcare with a look at one particular demographic, children. We care about children in general. For the purposes of this podcast episode, we're interested in kids and food for three main reasons. One, a lot of the power of a healthy diet is in prevention, so the earlier the better. Two, as we discussed last episode, we know that familiarity is a driver of what kinds of food we want to eat. It stands to reason that if we grow up accustomed to eating leafy green vegetables, then that becomes an easier habit to maintain for a lifetime. Three, in children, we clearly see a lot of additional impacts of diet beyond physical health, like the ability to concentrate in school, a sense of security and well-being, social connections, and mental health. There are obviously more than just those three reasons, but we're only here for about 15 minutes, so we need to focus. And we'll get started now with our first guest. I'm Coy Boynton. I work at the Northwest Healthy Roots Collaborative. We serve Franklin and Grand Isle County as a local food system program. We focus on food access, education, and infrastructure development for food and farm businesses. We're a program of Northwest Regional Planning, so our partners um, stretch across economic development, land use planning, including healthcare and social services. So we try to look at the full food system and look within our community to places such as the Notch and Northwestern Medical Center and figure out how we can partner with them to improve food access. And right from the start, we're throwing in a little twist on the theme with the local food angle. Most of the programs we work with have a local food element, and there are several reasons for this, beyond wanting to support our agricultural community. When we think about food choices and local food, often we find, because there's a shorter time from farm to plate, that you're going to get a uh, different quality of food than you might get from something that has traveled across our country. So I think, you know, if it's a tastier carrot, then the kids are going to like it more. And I think that's what we find often with local food, that sometimes because the distance is less, that we can find some tastier foods. Uh, In addition to the tastiness of local food, you, you know, you have that sense of community. You might have a connection with that farm and that connection is going to impact how you feel about that food. So I think it's twofold that we could get a higher quality of food, a yummy food, but we also have this connection with where that food was grown and can change choices. Fresh flavor, ability to choose heirloom varieties bred for taste, not transportation, and the connection to community are often cited as reasons to focus on local food for healthy eating programs with adults. When we're talking kids, we've got an additional incentive that turning a healthy diet into an engaging activity can be a lot more effective in winning over taste buds than a grown-up saying, eat your vegetables. We really focus on working with students and either bringing them out to their gardens or out onto farms so that they have a better understanding of where their food does come from and what whole foods are. And we find that when either a kid is growing food in their garden and bringing that into the school and cooking with it, or they have been a part of harvesting food from the farm that they then find in their cafeteria, 
they're more likely to try that food and enjoy that food because they've been part of the process and they've had connection with it. Um, so it's really fun to see that. Uh, and it exposes them to what whole foods are. We have a great story. We do monthly taste tests at, at the Swanton schools and our farm to school coordinator had brought in whole carrots and some of the kids had never seen whole carrots before. They had seen the baby carrots or sliced carrots from the freezer section. And they were so excited to have a whole carrot that just the act of giving them a carrot and letting them take it back to their classroom was huge for them. Uh, so those are some of the things we see in the farm to school world and it's amazing. Carrots seem easy to love. They're orange, they're sweet, but Koy assures me the theory extends to vegetables that are not common ingredients in cake. Fun example is making sauerkraut with kids. So they can see the cabbage. Sometimes they can see it in the field if they're visiting that farm. And then they come back to the school and they're cutting it up, they're processing it. And then they're more apt to be like, ooh, I'm going to eat that sauerkraut, which you wouldn't think that kids would eat sauerkraut. But if they're a part of making it, they're very excited to then taste it in the end. And their food knowledge will go on into adulthood. They, they understand how to use whole foods and to make them into something really yummy and nutritious. Let's stay on the food as activity element for a few more minutes here, because that's central to the program that my other guest is speaking about. So my name is Emmy Wellenberg, and I'm the Program Design and Implementation Manager for RISE Vermont. And RISE Vermont is the lead prevention program of OneCare Vermont. You heard a little about RISE Vermont last episode in Springfield. They have program managers in nine service areas across Vermont. This episode, we're going to Addison County for a program called Dinner Together. Dinner Together really grew organically from one of our program managers in Addison County, uh, Michelle Gilbert who worked closely with the Vermont Department of Health, um, Sumer Harper-Dees, who's a dietitian from Porter Medical Center, um, the Counseling Services of Addison County. Together, through that partnership, is where Dinner Together began. Dinner Together supports family mealtimes together, inspired by data showing that the act of coming together for a meal supports strong mental health outcomes for kids and reduces the incidence of high-risk behaviors. This past year has been a time when that idea of what family time together means took on extra significance. So what I think differentiates Dinner Together from a lot of the work that our partners are doing around food insecurity and nutrition education is really the focus on not so much what's on the plate, but really the time spent sharing the meal. And I just want to send a message to parents to really recognize that the work that you're doing now, that time that you're spending with your family it has huge, long-lasting benefits for your kids. So while it can be challenging to come to the dinner table together every evening or more evenings than you maybe were in the past, please recognize that this is a great time to be able to understand what's happening in your kids' lives, to be able to share a little bit what's happening in your life and build that relationship. We'll get to the part about data supporting the significance of Meals Together later. Right now, Let's talk a little bit about what a prevention program looks like when it's just as focused on the experience of a dinner as on its nutritional value. We have some really great tips for families to try to make mealtime as pleasant as possible. Um, we know that kids are more willing to participate in the meal and try new food when they come to the table hungry. So we encourage families to have set regular meal times and snack times and try to avoid grazing or snacking right before dinner. 
We encourage parents to really offer kids a variety of foods and then allow children to decide what and how much they eat at each meal. And we know that kids are more likely to try new foods when there's less pressure. Um, So being able to offer kind of a wide variety of items and allow kids to have the control over what they put in their bellies seems to be really important to making it kind of a conflict-free zone at the meal table. You can see how there might be a lot of overlap between tips to make dinner time more peaceful and tips on encouraging kids to try out healthier foods. In general, the impacts of programs like Dinner Together and local food in schools are mutually reinforcing. What kids learn in school spills over to the family mealtime, and the skills of trying new foods learned with the family spill over into school. Farm to School has been going on for a long time in Vermont, and I think what we've heard across the board is that when kids are taste testing foods um, in their classroom or their cafeteria and they're exposed to kale in their school garden or they visit a farm and they've pulled up a beet, that they're excited about that. And they bring that home to their parents and influence the family's eating style as well. They might go to the grocery store and see those beets and be like, oh, we had beets at school this week and they were really yummy and often can influence the parents' purchasing choices. The other mutually reinforcing element is reducing stigma for families who use support programs to put together a healthy, complete diet. When students learn about food, they learn about all the different ways our communities create a food system, from backyard gardens, to importing food for grocery stores, to connecting with food shelves. Because we have a farm to school program, and we also have a gleaning program where we go into farm fields and harvest surplus crops um, that then go to charitable food sites, we have brought those two together. And we host school gleaning field trips. So the kids join us in the field and we're able to talk about food security. We're able to talk about local farms. And what we've seen is just that interaction of just being in a field, having the farmer there, having that conversation starts to reduce the stigma around utilizing a food shelf. We can say, does anyone know where people get food if they don't have enough? And a kid that raises their hand and might say a food shelf and another kid might say, oh, I've gone there. You're not going to have the teasing, the bullying, because we're having an open, transparent conversation about supporting our community and eating. Dinner Together also works with food shelves on meal kits, adding materials to existing kits and bringing in a local element. In Bristol and Starksboro, there was a strong interest in incorporating more fresh produce um, at the Bristol and Starksboro food shelves. So our program manager was able to work directly with Lewis Creek Farm to source carrots, onions, and potatoes. Um, And as a result of that, she was able to incorporate those more fresh produce items into the weekly food distribution out of the food shelves. So we were able to come up with recipes that kind of featured that fresh produce and then also send folks home with some information about dinner together. Using all available sources for food without feeling shame or fearing judgment helps both with a nutritionally complete diet and with mental health and well-being. That approach holds true for kids and adults. We touched on this topic in the earliest episodes as well, when we talked about food insecurity screening. There are two closely related approaches here. One is identifying individual patients with food insecurity for targeted help, often also connected to clinical risk factors of diet-related disease or treating a particular condition. The second approach is creating a community where healthy food is abundantly available for everyone. 
And this isn't a question of choosing one or the other. It's a need to implement both approaches at the same time. We've partnered with healthcare providers in a a number of different ways. What we're currently doing is that we're providing lean produce for five healthcare centers at this point. And again, it really addresses stigma because it's in a location just where people go and it's just free and it's just free for everyone. So you might be visiting your doctor, but you walk into the lobby of your primary care physician and there is a plentiful basket of cucumbers and you're welcome to take whatever you want and bring that home. And what we hear is, you know, that food doesn't last very long. It's there for a a few hours, maybe three, and it's quickly picked up and taken away. And one of my favorite stories is of an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife and he comes into his primary care and he sees all of these veggies and he grabs some lettuce and a tomato and a cucumber. And as he's walking out, he sees one of our partners that helps us make that produce availability happen. And he has a big smile on his face and she asked him how he's doing. He said, well, I'm good now. I'm going home to make a big salad. So you're just making food available where people are already going. Now, as much as I should end everything on a heartwarming anecdote, listeners will realize that no discussion of food as part of healthcare is complete without getting into the data. This isn't as clear-cut as a medically tailored meals-type intervention, where you have a disease, you have a treatment, you track clinical indications, and you expect health improvement in a few months' time. Here, we're talking about all sorts of impacts, many of them not tied to nutritional sciences, and we're looking at setting eating patterns to last a lifetime, not turn around a diagnosis today. One kind of data we can collect isn't clinical, but access-related. A significant reason why we see worsening chronic disease in our country may be the sheer convenience of unhealthy food. If that is true, then measuring steps we take to make healthy food into convenient food is, if not health data, then at least health data adjacent. When children learn about local food, taste, test, and enjoy local food, that's increasing convenience because it's removing the barrier of unfamiliarity. When local food becomes available to families in many places, including their doctor's office, that's obviously increasing convenience as well. The thing we're interested in looking at right now is we've done a great job of providing our charitable food sites, our traditional food shelves and congregate meal sites with a plethora of local produce, mostly sometimes breads in there as well. So we've made that connection for them and provide them with a a great supply. And now we're looking at how do we expand those non-traditional sites? We have some, we have five health clinics that we work with, but is there a place for our early child care for us to bring food to them so that it can get home to families? And, And how do we integrate food choices with that? You know, if it's possible or variety, So working with the Farmers to Family Food Box program was really exciting because we could bring these prepackaged produce boxes to other organizations such as our Missisquoi Abenaki tribal community, to our migrant farm workers. And we're wondering, is there a way to keep that going and have some feedback from those communities about what they would like to see in those boxes? So that's kind of something that we're looking at and thinking about is is how to expand the reach 
of the local produce that we do have and we think that we can capture more of. There were a lot of potential indicators in there. The amount of food distributed, the diversity of places where it goes, feedback on if the food is eaten and enjoyed, the number of choices people have from the whole foods and produce. It takes a few rounds of extrapolation to get from tracking where we move food in our system to specific health outcomes. But you can get a little bit closer by looking at population health indicators. Still not as precise as looking at one individual's response to a specific intervention, but useful in highlighting trends and possible solutions. The Dinner Together program began with these kinds of numbers. Dinner Together, it really began with a data presentation that our program manager, Michelle Gilbert, heard from the Vermont Department of Health. And that data presentation really was about the 2017 Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which is a survey that's really administered by the Vermont Department of Health with um, collaboration from the Agency of Education. So every other year, the Vermont Department of Health surveys middle schoolers and high schoolers throughout the state of Vermont on topics that are really diverse. So everything from injury-related behaviors to substance abuse, um, to diet and exercise activities, as well as weight status. And one of the things that our program manager heard during that data presentation was that among Addison County High School students, those who ate dinner together with one or more of their parents on four or more days a week um, had almost 15% lower rates of substance abuse compared to their peers who had dinner less than four or more times a week with one or more parents. So that was really the genesis of how Dinner Together got started, this idea that spending time over a family meal could pay really important long-term dividends for these students. Rise Vermont also paired this local data with national observations suggesting broader effects, like that time together over meals helps with educational attainment and self-esteem, lower depression rates, and lower rates of eating disorders. Of course, observing correlations in data sets is different from knowing that a particular program makes a difference in the lives of its participants. Dinner Together launched at the end of 2019, so we don't have a lot of data yet to answer those questions. Speaking of pilot programs and measuring their impact, that will be a perfect segue into our next topic, which will be food prescription programs. These types of programs come in different models and exist all over the country. We'll hear about one being piloted at Dartmouth-Hitchcock on the next episode of the Policy in Plainer English podcast.